This episode is produced in part by Keep It 100 Productions, a podcast and video production company that specializes in sharing stories of everyday people. Whether you're looking to start your show or need assistance with the upkeep and editing, Keep It 100 Productions will provide a solution that is custom built for your needs. To learn more, visit keepit100prod.com. That's keepit100, the numbers 100prod.com. Welcome to What's On Your Mind with me, Jannie Rath. Bianca Vakil is a classmate of mine from UNC Chapel Hill. And while this episode was filmed back in 2020, the conversation is still very relevant. We talk about a topic that is really important to me because it's something that's related to my own career trajectory and mental health journey. And it's really asking that question of what is a career? What is professionalism? What does that look like now? What's the expectation? Is the conversation around career and professional trajectories any different than it used to be in the past? So I really hope that you enjoy this episode. I know re-listening back to it, I was really surprised at how this conversation is still continuing today internally two years later. So I hope you enjoy it. Thanks, Priyanka. Hi, Priyanka. What's on your mind? Hey, Jenny. What's not on my mind? I feel like there's just always something going on. I mean, let's see, recently there's been election on my mind and figuring out how I'm going to be voting and all of that type of stuff, just logistics, right? There's just a lot of like, what do I need in my checklist? What do I need to make sure that I get done? The other thing that's been on my mind has been, what is a career anymore? Oh my gosh. Yeah. (laughs) Right. I say this is someone doing this. (laughs) to have a career now (laughs) which is really tough to think about because what else are the other models you know of like it's always been this thing that you have to have your wage labor that's Mm. the thing that you need you need to do something to get paid to do your life so what's the point of career why did we elevate this thing personally for me just because I've been like having a lot of time to just pause and you know think about my trajectory so far and then I think yesterday it was, I was getting ready for a murder mystery birthday party. And after just like, you know, relaxing and, you know, taking a shower and getting ready and thinking, I started to feel like I'm ready for a nap. But my whole like thought process while I was just like relaxing was, wow, I really didn't realize how much I wanted the world to stop. I wanted it to come to screeching halt so that I could just have a few moments and like guilt-free let like close my eyes and let myself rest for a while. I think that's such an interesting point because it's like, you know, we always tell ourselves take a break and, you know, take time for yourself, but it's so much easier said than done because for that exact reason, like the world is still moving on when you are taking a break. And I love that you said guilt-free because I have that same thought too. And sometimes it's like, you know, I might have to give up social time with my friends if I want to just like, take a nap. And then I have that thought in my head of like, man, like, I don't think like my friend would cancel on me, but I kind of want to cancel on them. Not because I want to be a bad friend, but because like, I'm just tired and I want to take a nap. Even just like the world of activism, like this whole, I mean, I've just been seeing so much just honestly mixed language around this, but like this, this idea of, I forgot the exact term, but like activist fatigue or something like that. And then another kind of like 
body of perception that's saying like, well, you know, as an activist, you can't take a break because if you're wanting to take a break, that's from a power of a position of power where you're able to take a break. And gosh, yeah, I, I'm really interested to talk about this topic. And also, yeah, the whole career thing, like what is a career now anyway? Like what, what does that word mean? <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of this stuff still stems into the way that I've been like thinking. And I mean, just in the diaspora experience, right? Like I don't know how to not see this in any other lens than my lens. Yeah. And then have it shared among like different people about what's going on with their life. But, you know, my immigrant stories are parents moved to the United States so that we could have access to better opportunities, which always looked a certain way, which was the career, you know, the trajectory of being stable and like finally finding a place where you don't have to struggle as much as perhaps they did. And this idea of rest was always just something of it's luxurious. Luxury. Yeah. <laughs> it's something that only a few can get. Because a few the, the the terms around that is like at the drop of a hat, if I decide to rest, I could do it, and I would not have to worry about you know whether I have access to health insurance. I don't have to worry about you know who's going to take care of these other personal administrative things that we need to deal with. I don't have to worry about if my bills are going to get paid. The things that we need to do just to upkeep our existence, and then how everything in the Western like area. I mean, I, I actually haven't done much research, but I should do research on this is to see this model of tying a lot of benefits to your employer, right? As the only way to yeah. access it in a more, you know, quote unquote, secure, secure way that if I have a job, then I know I have healthcare, I know I have severance, I know I have like, you know, a pension or whatever. And so thinking about rest, it's such a highly valued commodity in an immigrant experience, except it's so funny when I think about it, because in India, and Kenya, like, I remember taking naps. I remember my parents taking naps whenever they wanted to. I mean, <laughs> you ate a big lunch, you chatted with your friends, and then you'd go home or you'd be at home. And then you're like, okay, we watch some TV, but now it's time for us to all take a nap. I love that. It's <laughs> like the life I want to have. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's like, you know, the Spanish siesta. It's just incorporated. Yeah. It's in our day-to-day -day cultural yeah. experience to rest. Like, we built it in. Yeah, but then there's something, yeah, like this this westernized idea of success and schedule and time and efficiency and productivity. Rest is not a word that you find in there. And I also think it's really interesting that you bring up like coming from immigrant parents and, and that because I, yeah, I totally empathize with that. Like when I think of the word career and how I was raised to think about it, it's upwards movement. It's, you know, you're, you're moving towards something. It's for the stability. It's for the benefits. It's for that life of knowing you're going to be okay. And that, you know, once you've kind of reached it, then the family's like, okay, phew, like they did it. Backwards movement or lateral movement is a very uncomfortable thought. I don't want to generalize, but at least to my parents, like lateral movement is very uncomfortable. And also just doing something because or doing something just because it's happiness or an interesting experience is very confusing <laughs> to my parents. Absolutely. And I mean, it goes back to the same thing, right? It's a privilege. It's a luxury. It was only afforded to a few who could think that way because yeah. their circumstances did not dictate their ability to live, to take in a breath and take it out and move on to the next thing and provide for family, provide for yourself. So absolutely, like these ideas of like, that's something that their generation, if they did ever see it modeled for them, it was modeled in such a very 
you know, a specific population had access to this or a specific yeah. population in a different geographic region had access to this. And it's really funny because like when people think about, you know, the in India, it's like, you know, called the NRI, non-residential Indian um, experience, which tends to happen for people who are not in the subcontinent, but even Indians who would move to African countries like my family. Mm. There's still this idea, you know, the Western capitalist idea that you have to work and you have to keep striving to get better so that you can have access to more. But there was still this idea of rest and holidays and vacations. And I don't know whether I just didn't get it as a kid, but I feel like my parents were a lot less stressed out when having this. But then again, like, you know, going through the immigrant experience here and then having to like reset themselves up because it didn't matter how much they had achieved in another country. It had to be translated over here. And then having been uh, relegated in terms of the workforce that you don't have United States level of, you know, performance. It didn't matter that you have a bachelor's in commerce. I, I don't understand how that's not, you know, where's the parody there? Why yeah. does it have to become this way? And so they're relegated to jobs that they didn't do, but they have, you know, the work ethic. They're able to do what they needed to do. But you, they just had to keep showing up and the things that they, and that's the hardest part. I feel like when I think about my immigrant experience, like I know how good it was. We knew how good it was mm. and we could see how not so easy it was going to be. And so it just kept getting pushed. I mean, we had our vacations eventually, like it took a while for us to build there, but the value of a green, of a, of a dollar just completely deferred and that value as much as it has you know its implications in terms of like your assets and all of that stuff it comes down to things like can I take a nap can yeah. I guilt-free decide to not turn on my computer you know or in the middle of a work day I've had to ask myself like I'm not being engaged right now at work and I've done what I needed to do I've crossed off as much as I can I should shut this off I should like literally close my computer not shut it down but just like put it to sleep see where else my mind gets to go so I can do other creative things or I could do whatever else I'm thinking of. But I keep finding myself that regardless of drawing those boundaries, I keep breaking those promises to myself, right? So I'll yeah. leave my computer on even though I'm away. And how do you create that distinction in an era of work from home, which many people in the diaspora immigrant experience, that was not going to ever be something that they lived. But now that it's the majority of the way that people function and that there was always like a distinct time for everything to be done. And there was this like pride in being able to stop working because you did your job for the day. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You said so many, again, so many things of what you said are really resonating with me. Um, you were sharing your story of, you know, someone having a commerce degree and then coming here and then just having to do something else. I think of my mom every time. Um, she has an English literature degree. She has a law degree. And then when she came to the United States, they were like, mm, those are no good. <laughs> so then she had to go back to school and now also has an MBA in order to survive and thrive in the United States. So it's like, she just has this law degree just sitting it up on a shelf. <laughs> like not able to use it. And she had to like pivot in order to fit in and, you know, find that quote success here in the United States, which is just bonkers to me. And then another thing you said too, of this idea of, again, like, like this idea of guilt-free being able to take a break from work, even during work. And I mean, I would say at the very minimum, working your 
like allotted hours that you have told people that you are going to work, whether it's eight to four, nine to five, you know, whatever, if you have a traditional job and then like actually stop working. But like how, how many people are there out there where they still feel that like professional pressure from their workplaces to continue to work in the evenings and continue to work on the weekends. And not only do they feel that pressure, but it's like, it can be rewarded. Like some workplaces see that as, oh, people are just like extra determined and work extra hard. And, oh, this person has never used a PTO. Like they would rather like work. And it's so wild to me that there are workplaces that reward that because I think, again, it just goes back to that idea of, of productivity and work ethic when it's like, but that's, in the long term, really breaking people. Like people are not meant to to do that. People are meant to take mental breaks. And I feel like workplaces that are setting up more of that balance, whether it's verbally in policies saying, you know what, when you get your work done, like you're done. <laughs> like you don't have to work your full hours or you know what, set your work schedule so that at 5 p.m. you put your away message that says, you know what, I'm not going to check my emails until I'm back tomorrow. But like, it's weird to me that workplaces have to like put that in their policies to emphasize like, we're okay with you not working when you're not at work. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the norm is to just work people sadly sometimes to death and um yeah I don't know I I I was just reflecting on that while you were speaking of again just this difference of what it means in our world of working versus rest what's valued what's rewarded what the expectations are and how different places can view that differently and how they want to, you know, define an employee as, oh, they're a good employee because they work really hard or they're a good employee because they strive for balance and, you know, they deliver what they deliver when they deliver it. <laughs> All right, it's time for a quick break. And let's get back to it. Yeah, I, I don't know how people think about this and what the thought leaders right now are discussing and like, you know, weighing when they're looking at this, I mean, as much as it has to do with the systems that need to reassess and really, really, you know, touch base with what they need to implement, because many, many companies are, you know, instituting their work from home, flexible policies, and that they understand this, but there's always the unspoken understanding anyways. Yeah. They're not going to change. That is an important part of any culture, whether it's a work culture um, it's, you know, family culture. There are just so many unspoken, understood, and universally so, and then universally accepted that yeah. we accept. We allow ourselves when we see colleagues, when we see friends, when we see our family choose to work late in the night, and we, we justify that. We let the obvious, you know, misalignment, we pad it a bit so that it's less misaligned. It's like slightly there. So like, yeah, you, you know, it's like, oh, you feel like you've dislocated your knee. Okay. And it needs to be relocated, but you're like, eh, okay. So we kind of did it, but it still feels wobbly, but you're not going to address why it dislocated in the first place. It's just so insidious because in the millennial experience and something where I feel immigrant and millennial experience is like, for me, I'm, I'm not born in the United States, right? And so I'm not first gen, but on top of trying to make sure I'm keeping up with my peers and I'm getting, I'm, I'm staying on track and I have my timeline of, you know, success, which thankfully I have been learning how to redefine for myself every once in a while and like checking mm. in and being like, oh, I've achieved that success. Now I want to go do something else. There is an unspoken need to do that. And so when I was, you know, resting yesterday and just thinking about this, I, I was wondering like, 
why do I, why am I putting so much pressure on myself to figure out this whole career stuff that I've been thinking about? When the thought came to me, it's like, I just needed the world to come to a screeching halt so that I could rest guilt-free. I could dream a little bit more. But instead of doing that, I started to fear that what if I don't figure out the next five years? What if I still decide to keep doing, you know, say if I stop feeling engaged and like, you know, challenged in my current position, will it be too late? Will I always be playing this game of catch up to my own self to align my life with myself? I mean, I am in such an empowered, privileged position where like I get to think about these things. I don't Um. get to have the situations dictate what I need to do. Even though I've allowed, like, I, I still tell myself, like, I am gainfully employed. I'm, you know, I'm challenged. I'm engaged. I'm learning so much about myself right now, which I would never trade for the, for anything right now. But at the same time, it's like, if I didn't have this job and I truly was unemployed right now or furloughed and I didn't know what was happening, my first preoccupation would be, I need to get employed because I can't finance myself going out and figuring it out because I, I literally can't. Not when there's a pandemic, not when my health could be affected and I would have to figure out how all of that works without the, you know, built-in structures of stuff. So I can't feel guilt-free about closing my eyes. I mean, I ended up taking a really nice 20-minute nap. (laughs) But it just got back to me thinking that, like, once the pandemic is done, if I don't make the most of it, which I know many people have been talking about, is like, you know, how do I make this work for me? How do I like finally break away from the nine to five cubicle experience and like, you know, do this? How do I get to travel more? What are the things that I need to make sure I definitely cross off my bucket list? It just switches from one thing to the other without truly making that space for the rest. Yeah, I'm like, I'm really resonating with what you're saying because I've I've had the same conversation internally and with my my partner recently because like I'm clearly you know kind of trying to go out on my own right now as an entrepreneur on top of having my day job which like you I'm in a position where like I you know they are supportive of me doing things on the side and like you know I'm able to have very specific hours and there's room for rest in there but I've always had that thought in my head of like I don't know that I would ever be able to just do something like this as my job because I have that that fear and that chatter in my head of like you lose the stability like you lose the um the paycheck which literally like our movement around this world is based on dollars <laughs> like this intangible you know piece of paper that is not backed by anything, but it has value because we all say it has value. And, you know, we need this, we need this dollar in order to have healthcare. And like you said, have our benefits and it's so scary. I mean, I always, I have so much respect for entrepreneurs, but I'm always just have this thought of like, how did you do it? And how did you let go of that fear? How did you let go of that fear of going into the unknown and risking the fact that that stability and structure would be pulled from completely underneath you. And I still don't have the answers and I'm, I'm waiting for it to hit me in the face one day, but I've definitely not have had that realization yet. So I have a theory. I think all entrepreneurs are always just a wee bit scared. They have to. (laughs) You are, if you're not scared, I think that you've lost something. Like, I think there has to be a component of fear And I don't want to call it fear because I feel like fear is very draining. I feel like there is a, I don't know, I don't know how else to say it, but it's, it's like the nervousness you have before you're about to speak on, you know, in public or like perform in public, or you have to be a skeptic to a certain point that this may not all work out. 
Mm-hmm. Let's, let's, I don't know what we're going to call that, but we're going to call that the, this may not pan out the way I need it to. Yeah. It's and, like he- healthy, healthy skepticism and like courageous doubt. <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> we can call it that if we want to. <laughs> yeah. I, but I feel like that's the potential, right? That's the potential yeah. for growth, self or out- otherwise. That's the potential for challenging yourself and like confronting yourself. It's the part of you that will never have any of the answers, but you need to have that. And I don't want to call it like the flame that you have to fan or whatever, but I feel like in terms of that case, yeah, definitely. I don't, I don't know if there are answers. I mean, I don't, as much as like, I don't know. I feel like with people who are constantly thinking about this, like the pandemic and our response to it globally, and I mean, I'm more familiar with how things have been, you know, playing out in the United States, those structures are crumbling. Like they, the holes that we have been, you know, taping up, they are, you know, slowly piecing away. Like the duct tape is no, there's no more adhesive to the duct tape. Like starting (laughs) the way you can like pull it out like a scab because it was never built to be something that was sustainable at this capacity. You can scale to a great level, but that scalability ends up only being beneficial for such a small number. But when your entire scalability relies on other people, it is not built to be sustainable. Like we have to, it's like our bodies. We anticipate our bodies. And I don't think people do this, but like we should be anticipating our bodies to break down. It is happening. We cannot control it. We can mitigated we can do the best but we are going to get older there's no way to freeze our internal physiology so that it remains as pristine and as healthy i mean it's always great to hear about that you know the 98 year old who has like a 50 year old like heart or whatever yeah but people are just so obsessed as a society we're so obsessed concerned fearful of so we need to really hold on to something that makes us feel secure that we don't allow things that are organic to do what organic things do, which is exist and then break and then decompose. Mm. So, And then start over. (laughs) Yes, exactly. To have that like, like wild experience, like everything that doesn't have to be always couched within parameters and restrictions. And like, you know, we'll tweak this so that we can see this go higher or we'll tweak that to like change this. When that is your like primary pre- like preoccupation is like, I need to make sure that this moment and this experience stays the same. You are saying that you want it to be stagnant. You're not allowing yeah. for it. And even if it's just mentally and you are the only one thinking about it, I can't imagine how many people still think that their careers must look a specific way because they've been told that that's how it is. They've been rewarded for thinking that way. We've all been conditioned to do this at some level or the other. That when we're trying to have these conversations, unless we start having them with ourselves first and really, really being honest with ourselves to be like, is this sustainable though? How many really mega rich people have we seen who suddenly lost everything? You know, how many people have we seen the rags to riches, but the opposite way, but then also the actual way rags to riches. And then you think about the millennial generation where people live in multi like million dollar houses because they made like a four second video. Yeah. (laughs) That's too funny. Yeah, man. Yeah. So many golden nuggets, I feel like came out of this one, this idea of, you know, I think it's very easy to say challenge the status quo, but we're really put in a situation now where we have no choice but to challenge the status quo. And maybe that means building things up from scratch. Um, Because like you said, maybe at this point, it's not just about tweaking things anymore because 
this state that the world has in has revealed a lot of flaws in our system. And some of those elements of those systems are crumbling and maybe that's okay. Like it's, we've shown the weaknesses in, in our systems and it's time to say, you know what, those broke for a reason. Let's not just patch it up. Let's figure out a new plan, whether that's restructuring the quote American workplace or like the American idea of success, whether it's restructuring the definition of what's a career, whether it's restructuring, like what does a person need in order to thrive as a human that's not linked to their private employer? <laughs> like maybe, maybe it's time to do all of this. This is really lovely. I, I'm really loving where this conversation went. This is cool. Well, we only have a couple of minutes left and um, we didn't get to really actually talk too much actually at all about the very first thing you talked about, which was voting. But I mean, if anything, I feel like this conversation of, changing changing the systems and challenging the status quo is very elusive or what's the word very um what's the word for analogy it is analogous analogous yeah it's very <laughs> analogous or leads way to um people using your voice and creating change and getting out and voting yeah uh so i guess let's turn it back to you where can people find you how can people learn about you um if if you want people to learn about you or the organizations that you work for what you stand for yeah so uh linkedin would probably be the best place i am not on facebook i don't actually have a professional instagram or anything like that i do have a personal one but that's personal so perfect um, we'll leave it that way <laughs> LinkedIn, linkedin is good okay um but for places and people just to you know read about stuff. Uh, Erica Hart, I Heart Erica. I really like their content. The Fat Sex Therapist also really like their content. Love. The Nat Ministry has revolutionized it, but for the Nat Ministry, I highly recommend that, you know, you give them money. I know they have a Patreon, but like the work that they do as an organization is impeccable and so, so, so necessary. I don't think people understand how impactful it has been for me just ever since I discovered them. No White Saviors, where I got a lot of my content from just because of the things I'm interested in, having worked in the international development area field before. Absolutely. And I want to, I'm trying to think of something that I see for joy and for fun. Really learning awesome. learning and challenging can also be joyous for some people. <laughs> right, but like, you know, the true guilt-free? <laughs> yeah. Ricky Thompson, I think, you know, that Instagram page, every time he's out there busting a move, I just feel the joy emanate from me. And when I can oh, feel the embody, oh, actually, Poetry by Mary Oliver. Get anything and everything by her, find it online. Like, I think it's very accessible. Yeah. And I guess the last thing I would like to say is like, whenever you're thinking about whatever you're doing, it's always been my thing to understand what the accessibility of that is. How is this accessible to you? How was it not accessible to you? Who else could it not be accessible for? Because there's, there are a lot of invisible people who are very, very real, but because there are so many of these barriers and people aren't speaking about these things, it's important for you. If you're not going to have that conversation at the large scale, which is actually right. You should not be talking about this at the large scale. You need to ask for yourself and you need to check in with yourself more to see where is there access that I have and where is there access that some people don't have and where, where's access that I don't have. Absolutely. Well, you've told a beautiful story. I feel like you've shared amazing thoughts to where people have a glimpse into your mind and just who you are as a person. And I am so excited to release this out into the world so people can get to get a glimpse of the amazing person I know. <laughs>
Thank you. And th good luck with this. This is awesome. I thank you. I know you have a podcast package coming out. So another last plug. So if you're trying to figure out how to get in the business, Jenny can hook you up. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. I'm trying. I'm trying. Well, thank you. Thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you. It's a pleasure being here. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode or any other episode, please rate, review, subscribe, follow, all of the things. Thank you to all the supporters and sponsors of What's On Your Mind. Check out jannyrod.com for my latest updates. Well, friends, 